Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time. What time? High time to say, if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time. Monkey tennis, please, please, cook your eggs. Be safe. The X A Monkey Tennis. Can I have a glass of water, please? It forced to me to say he has gone. Monkey Tennis. I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey Tennis. I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey Tennis. There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things to all men, all women, and everything in between. Monkey Tennis. There's a subtle cock up there. Hello and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, hosted by some of the toughest podcasters in southern England. Adam, Tom, Tom, and to a lesser extent, Nick. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much for joining us as we dissect episodes of this time series two week by week. Uh, This week we've got the return of Britain's most troubled ventriloquist, but... Before we get to that, um, you can get in touch with us, and please do. Uh, ThePartridgePod at gmail.com is our email address. On Facebook, it's slash ThePartridgePod. On Twitter, at ThePartridgePod. Uh, Instagram, at MonkeyTennisPod. The hotline is 07923600017. You can leave us voice notes there. Um, or donate to us, ko-fi.com slash MonkeyTennis. You can drop us the price of a cup of coffee uh, if you're enjoying our work. Uh, so, before we get on to 
to episode two of this time series two and the return of everyone's favourite man-monkey combo, um, it's time to talk about This Week in Alan. What have we found out recently in terms of Alan outside of the APU? But before we delve into that, can I just reveal something to the listeners here, which I really enjoyed. Um, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that we normally open the episode with a quote from the episode we're discussing. And Adam asked us to not do that because he had something in store. And what I've really liked about that is it was basically effectively a joke at Nick's expense that we didn't know was coming. So thanks for that, Adam. Keep up the good work. And not even the decency for a right to reply. Um, <laughs> no. But I'm going to seize that opportunity now and just to say, I'm going to take the moral high ground and not say anything other than uh, on our recent feedback episode, you'll have um, probably remembered that I got 80% of the questions right from only half the number of questions versus your 40% with twice the volume of questions, thus making me uh, a better Alan aficionado. If okay, I'm not the best uh, on the mic, but most knowledgeable of all of the four of us. Mm. Uh, yes, you'll note, you'll note there were some of the toughest podcasters, not some of the best. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, I, I just wanted to give that little reveal to the listeners. Uh, Tom, hit us with your This Week in Alan disclaimer, may not actually be this week. Go for it. So recently, Susanna Fielding did an interview with The Telegraph. Um, it's a good interview. I mean, no huge revelations in terms of anything that we didn't know or, or anything like that. But what I did find interesting is that... Um, Obviously, the interview took place around the time of Piers Morgan leaving Good Morning Britain. So it was quite interesting that they could draw a parallel between uh, a female presenter in the real world, obviously being um, Susanna Reid, and uh, a sort of white male um, of a certain age presenter, you know, with certain viewpoints around society um, storming off and, and obviously leaving Good Morning Britain in the shape of Piers Morgan. It's quite interesting that you can have that parallel between um, that and this time where obviously Jenny, Susanna, is uh, is opposite. A kind of Piers Morgan-esque character, not exactly the same, obviously, but in terms of age, um, uh, uh, race and um, and sort of background, I guess, sort of like and, and social, political uh, views of a certain kind shall we say um you can draw some parallels between alan and uh, and piers morgan so i thought that was quite interesting that it was quite topical that they were talking about this time coming back around you know against the backdrop of of some real life early morning talk show uh, fallout thanks tom the other thing just to chat about briefly before we dive into this week's episode uh, dissection is we were very lucky to be invited to an online Q&A which featured uh, Steve Coogan, Susanna Fielding and the Gibbons brothers uh, which took place just ahead of the premiere of uh, episode one of this series. Um, so that Q&A should now be online I think on YouTube. So it was quite an interesting chat, obviously uh, an honour for us to be uh, to be able to sit in and listen to that. Not quite as exciting as going to Broadcasting House for the launch of Series 1, of course, but obviously for various reasons that was not an option this time round. Um, so I've just got a few notes that uh, we made throughout that Q&A, just uh, a few interesting uh, tidbits from the conversation. Um, they started off talking to Steve, mostly at the beginning of the Q&A. Um, Steve talked about um, the writing and the character has evolved and become much more sophisticated over the years, which I think we would uh, we would agree with. Um, and he talked about that he chooses to do Alan because he wants to, not because he has to. Because he has been able to do other projects, it means Alan hasn't become the albatross that people might expect it to be. And again, I think we've talked about that before, the kind of one project for Steve, one project for Alan, and the back and forth there. 
I mean, Steve certainly talks about that before. That is an, a well-worn anecdote yeah. that I've heard him use in about five yeah. or six interviews. The Basically. fact that he there was a there was a period in you know, I could I could I could answer it for, for on his behalf. I think now <laughs> there was a period in the wilderness where I wasn't sure I wanted to do it anymore. But the Gibbons brothers came and they breathed new life into it and they've introduced some more subtleties and he's a more sophisticated character. And now I've done Philomena and some other things. I feel more comfortable going back to Alan, less of an album trust, more of an old friend. I've got a great yeah. affection for it's, him. I imagine I'll do it again in the future. It's it's exactly that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I think throughout the whole Q&A, probably because we obviously do dig out most of the kind of Coogan and Gibbons type interviews around the writing of Partridge, we've probably heard a lot of these things before. But there were a few a few interesting points that came out. Um, I enjoyed the Gibbons then went on to talk about writing with Steve is democratic and ego free. Now, I've got a read on that, which is basically he lets them do the writing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why yeah. it's easy yeah lads go and write that come back to me and i'll give it a thumbs up um i think it was probably the most interesting bits of this q a were listening to susanna talk about her experiences so she talked about the recording of this time saying there is a musicality to it saying it's like a piece of music everyone's playing their instruments and has to hit the right notes at the right point and i think that does tally quite nicely with some things we've said before about there's a real rhythm and tempo to to some of the script on these shows, particularly a lot of the in-studio exchanges. So I thought she uh, really described that in quite a quite an innovative way, that it's kind of like playing a piece of music. Um, and then just some kind of pandemic context stuff from the Gibbons brothers. They said the writing process for this series was done mostly over Zoom, which meant an important part of the writing process for them became doing rewrites on the morning of a shoot day because they were saying how they would basically, you know, be able to map out 99% of a script do it over Zoom, but they'd always want to make changes when you're in the room with people like face-to-face, which I totally understand, but it did also make me feel a bit sorry for the actors going, oh, here they come. They're going to just tear up the script and rewrite everything on the morning of shooting every time. Some things with Alan might change, but the fact that the writing goes down to the wire is has never changed. Yeah. It's probably never going to change. Yeah, you know, whether it's Peter Bainham in the back seat of a car scribbling yeah. on the script or something. Um, and, yeah, I thought also what was quite interesting... Um, the pandemic actually meant that the shooting of this series was brought forward because a lot of other projects that the Gibbons brothers were supposed to be involved in actually got put on hold. So they were able to devote more time to this and get it to the screen earlier, which is great. A minor result of, of a global pandemic, sure. <laughs> um, and just lastly, I thought what was quite a key line as they were talking about this series and talking about the context for the Alan character at this point. They said Alan knows that he needs to make himself an institution before he becomes irrelevant. They were talking about this in terms of the the series one arc for Alan being a bit of an Icarus moment, essentially flying too close to the sun, a.k.a. unloading on Jenny. So the fact that they kind of see that he now knows he needs to, I guess, toe the line to a certain extent because it's kind of a make or break point for him as a broadcaster. So it'll be interesting to see if that comes to some kind of fruition throughout the rest of uh, the the series in the next uh, four episodes, I guess. One thing that um, I remember from the Q&A, which uh, is relevant to last week's episode, um, Steve said that one of his, you know, you watch the show so many times in the edit that, um, you know, you kind of become and you and you go through it in rehearsal so many times and and rewrites and stuff like that. So you're kind of a little bit numb to the comedy of things. So um, obviously we seeing it fresh for the first time find it really, really funny. Um, he's obviously had to go through the the, the the script editing process and then the filming process, blah, 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 blah. So it's not quite as funny when it comes down to, to shoot date. But one thing that he said that he from the edit that he always really liked and always really made him laugh was in the, in the first episode 
of the moment where Sam and Jenny kiss and embrace and Alan's just kind of like in the frame of the shot looking really awkward. He just, I remember him saying that that was always a shot and a moment that really made him laugh because of Alan's kind of awkwardness. And it's not a ha-ha, laugh-out-loud gag or, or, or funny moment per se, but... Steve, you know, knowing this character inside and out, just all just found that moment particularly funny. His 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 eyes, um, he's obviously feeling really awkward, and there's just so much that is obviously clearly going through his head. And in that moment, and it's just one little frame and snapshot of the show. That's actually reminded me um, something else he said, which I thought was was a great little insight. That in the days of actually shooting, he often wouldn't really know what uh, what Susanna was doing with regards to her kind of uh, facial yeah. acting. So he often wouldn't really be able to get concept of that until they sat down in the edit. So he'd then get this kind of wave of enjoying her performance by seeing it on screen. Because they're sat side by side, he wouldn't really be able to read on what, what she was doing and how she was reacting to stuff until they went into the edit suite, which I thought was a great little insight. I think that's the same. I mean, I was looking out for it this time, but I think that was definitely the case with uh, Series 1 and, to a lesser extent, mid-morning matters as well when you start to re-watch these shows for the purposes of this podcast you're focusing less on alan or you're focusing less on what is being said and you're focusing what's going on around it and that's when you start to notice facial expressions um like uh, body movements and things like that which you don't necessarily see first time around but obviously you know having watched alan multiple times for this purposes I purposefully look, what is Jenny doing? What is Psychic Simon doing in those moments? Because that's where you find these little nuggets of gold. So I think that's uh, that's everything that's come through outside of the APU. It's time to dive into the APU with episode two of this time, series two. Um, eagle-eyed people will have spotted a press shot that went out ahead of the series starting, which featured a lot of familiar faces from, from series one, but one crucial new addition, uh, which was Natasha Dimitriou in the role of Tiff, the makeup lady, who comes into uh, the APU in this episode. Um, perhaps not a huge surprise that this actress is now tied to the project. Jamie Dimitriou you guested in the first series um i think it's you know arguably maybe not common knowledge but um i think steve coogan's daughter and jamie dimitri have something of a relationship um and ellie white who also is yeah. natasha dimitri's comedy writing partner and featured with uh jamie and natasha in Stathlet's flats was also a guest in series one so effectively the apu and the, the staff pu are, are, hang on no that doesn't work staff partridge universe this yeah the, the, the Michael and Eagle Lettings universe and the APU are gradually <laughs> sort of merging, it seems. Um, but yeah. The, st- uh, the, 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 S- the SLU, the Stathlet's universe. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I hope I speak for everyone else in the group where I say I was very, very excited when I saw that press shot, knowing that um, Tash Dimitri was going to be in this. I love what we do in The Shadows. I lo- like yes. Series two is incredible, better than series one. It's, I think that second series is pretty much flawless. Um, and obviously Stathlet's Flats, and I've loved her every time she's been on Adam Buxton's podcast. And I was like, and also we'll come to, to kind of talk about it. It's not, it, it's setting up for it not to just be like a one-off character. It feels like there's a little bit more to it, which is exciting because like I say, I'm a big fan of Tash Dimitri. I think she's great. I just kind of want to back up everything you've said there really, Tom. And I think, um, <laughs> Can I shake your hand? <laughs> just, just, um, <laughs> just like, you know, we, we gave a few recommendations, uh, last week. And I just think if anyone's listening to this, if you haven't watched what we do in the shadows, the series, absolutely go and watch it. It is so, so good. Guaranteed laugh out loud moments in every episode um yeah c- can't rate that show highly enough so yeah to see her bringing her comedy skills 
to the world of Alan is uh, very exciting indeed. I, I would sling Stathlet's flats on that must-watch pile as well. Um, she also did yep. a BBC special with Ellie White, um, which is really great. Uh, and I think you can find a sketch from that online under the name Internet Nails, which I absolutely recommend <laughs> oh, as I think well. We should, I, I think we should share that on the profile, on the, on the socials, Internet Nails. Yes. So, so yeah, great <laughs> to see her here. Although, to be fair, she's introduced in a bit of an oblique way. I don't, I mean, mm. I guess because of the nature of how they shoot this time. But also, I don't know, perhaps for other reasons, I'm not sure, but but you never really get a very clear shot of her. It's over the shoulder, it's it's just the feet, you know, kind of like they do with Lynn. Um, she's not really kind of foregrounded particularly. Mm. Yeah, I think if we hadn't seen, I mean, I guess she's obviously listed on IMDb now, but if we hadn't didn't have that and the press shot, you could easily not clock who this was at all. It took me until she popped up, I think, the second time in this episode that... Um that I clocked who it was because yeah like you say the first time you see her I think is from the back so it's you don't really know unless you recognize the voice but obviously going back and and I I recognize the voice but um I think to the untrained ear um or and or I it would take a little bit of time for you to work out who it was if you're familiar with her work and should we talk about the exchange that she's having with Alan here to Mm. open the episode um, she's basically implying that Alan has a, well, I think looking at her chest inappropriately. And she says, I should report you. What are you like? And, uh, then goes on. I'm only playing. You don't need to worry about me. And I think does she say I'm one of those old fashioned girls? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See this, uh, see this, this exchange is what I'm talking about in terms of like laying the seeds for what I think is potentially yeah. a, a longer arc. There's, it's, it, there's clearly something like what's she up to? There might be some kind of agenda here. It feels like there's something more to this character and her relationship with Alan than just these, this little one appearance. Well, cause I guess one, you probably wouldn't have a significantly known comedy player being a makeup artist if they were literally going to be in for one episode because you could just have well they did any... it with jamie dimitri didn't they they do it with the, with the, um, with the guests I, I guess, and things like but that. he was still a bit more like on screen to, i think to have somebody of right, this caliber okay. yeah. when you can't Fair even enough. really see their face it could literally be anyone yeah um and it's kind of it's so, her sections in this episode is so fleeting but quite tantalizing so i i what i'm saying is tom again i agree with what you're saying i feel like this <laughs> <laughs> it feels like just this making will great lead, points. It yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. this will lead to something else. Yeah, <laughs> right. I feel like we have to get to the meat of this episode now. So uh, the opening after after uh, Tiff and Alan's little back and forth, um, it's basically a sort of rerun of the celebrations around the engagement between Sam and Jenny. Um, she refers to, to to them as a couple of Sam and me. I wondered if that was them trying to subtly nod at Sam being very public school and Jenny having to work a bit harder to get where she is. It's Sam and me, not Sam and I. Um, Alan hands over a horseshoe, um, which, I mean, I quite like that because at the point that happens, we're sort of like, oh, we, we've got to get into why this is a gift. What's going on here? Well, but then the the gift the gifting of a horseshoe is supposed to be it's like a good luck gift, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But if I yeah. remember this correctly, the horseshoe being upside down is bad luck. Right. So the fact Alan has given it to her upside down, ah, good spot. Is that deliberate or not deliberate? Uh-huh. I don't know. But I think the <laughs> yeah. the, also, the superstition behind it that that was but, like kind of it's bad luck and bad spirits, right? Yeah, I also think the the other the other gag here as well is. A horseshoe as a as a like congratulations on your engagement. A horseshoe. Yep. And also, it's it's an unconventional and and poor poor gift at best. Well, that's the point that that's the point that Tom just made. It's a tradition to give someone a horseshoe. As good luck though. 
Right, and also you would think behind the scenes, not live on camera as yeah, a, yeah, as a yeah, show. Yeah. That's also a fair point. I, yeah. I also do. Just, I, did, I did enjoy the description of Alan about the shoe, where he says that it is the horseshoe that hoofed women into suffrage. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask a question here. Did you did you guys not clock that at the opening of the, this sequence when they're on the sofa, Alan is dancing around on the sofa as the camera pans down to them. No reason, no explanation. I haven't seen him do that in an episode that. before. He's just doing that. It's having a lovely time. Yeah, um, yeah. Crucially, he he believes that this is the horse's shoe that that, that trampled Emily Davidson. Uh, according to a gypsy, he was told by a gypsy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why now, given what we know his 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 feelings are towards the gypsy community, why he's now taking them at their word. But um, but he's certainly <laughs> very uh, suspicious. Of their of their tales, if you will, in so in other bits of APU, and so we're two episodes down, and uh, in each episode, the word gypsy has been used. It's two for two. Yep, it's consistent. Uh, if yeah. nothing else, Jenny uh, Jenny has won a war hero his pension uh, in what Alan describes as a stunning piece of journalism, TV journalism. <laughs> Very keen to stress it. Really just good TV journalism. But then I was a bit confused by that bit of script because the implication is that. He's, uh, I guess he's suggesting that because it's TV journalism, it's not of proper worth. But that's all he's ever wanted, but, right? But yeah. Exactly. But you would think anything that's based in TV mm. would be the ultimate. So that kind of doesn't gel. Or am I, or am I, or am I missing something? When, uh, when it cuts to the audience, did anyone pause to see who was in the audience and spot another returning character? Have we got a Ted? Oh. We have got a Ted from Sunderland in the audience. He's still coming down by train. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, as well, I did notice the audience are really spaced out in this episode, which mm. could almost well, the ex- be... The be extras like... wouldn't be in the bubble, would they? So, Well, but then that, that's the interesting thing. I think it's weird that they've got those spaced out, but obviously the other cast aren't. So I'm guessing it must literally just be a practical real-life reason why they couldn't do that, because it yeah, isn't yeah. explained... In the script, in mm. the APU, there's no reference to the audience having to socially distance. But I thought it was interesting that they haven't done that with the other cast members. Well, they would have been in a bubble for the production, wouldn't they? Whereas extras wouldn't have been in that um, in that bubble, so well, they, they wouldn't be able to. Mm, they wouldn't be. They would. They would just come in for that a couple yeah. of hours or whatever, and then they wouldn't be. But you they could, would have but to you, socially distance. But you could have done just a day shooting of just those bits the same and just had the same mm. people because I think it it probably is often the same people. I haven't examined it but ted's always the same for example so it feels like the way they've done it is they've done it to to try and fill the space so it doesn't look like it's a thing but obviously we know we know what's going on there yeah yeah weird. yeah um just to sort of retouch on on alan's position in the grand scheme of things at the moment Jenny's obviously just won this war hero's pension. Everyone's agreed it's a great piece of journalism. And so it basically puts us in a position where she's better than Alan at investigative journalism. Sam is more loved by the crew and the audience. Simon now <laughs> handles the tech and has perhaps been given a bigger role by the new producer from E4. And so all of this now, you know, second episode in, creates a really nice unstable atmosphere for Alan to sort of flounder in. And, and I think that develops through this episode quite a bit. Um, especially when Lynn arrives to tell him that there's bad news from TV Choice. Uh, remember, he was TV Quick's man of the moment yeah. back in the day. Um, <laughs> it's that he, him and Jenny have been bumped from the cover off the back of the engagement. It's now Sam and Jenny. And the way that Alan guesses what the, what the, head, yeah. the tagline's going to be when he finds out they're painted gold, TV's new golden couple. I really love the delivery <laughs> of that line. It's so good. 
the, the, the way the way that's done is like alan is so gutted and he guesses it immediately but the, the tone of the delivery it's like it is literally the worst thing imaginable it's so, <laughs> it's so kind of grave and serious i also just even though it's a really simple joke i just really like the gag when lynn is kind of struggling to tell him he's like lynn if bad news <laughs> there was a smell you'd stink <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um there's a really nice bit did anyone clock lynn trying to inject herself into the story as well uh just after that where he's uh they're talking about whether it would look he's been asked to give a quote whether it would be sour grapes yes. not to give one and then she suggests how about this yeah how about this um uh, a spokeswoman said mr partridge supports this union and he's like yep that's great but just change it to spokesman uh i suspect <laughs> ever since she was on the news in alpha papa she's been trying to do this just get herself into the conversation like make sure that people are aware that she works for mr partridge etc <laughs> i was thinking about uh, that and at almost to the point we were making about the diversity and inclusion in the first episode i sort of thought there was a sort of spokesperson angle there but lynn would never have used the word spokesperson so it wouldn't have worked but i also feel like there's a kind of like you know subtle kind of um you know nod to alan uh supporting you know old-fashioned not terminology, but you probably wouldn't hear that on the BBC these days. I'd imagine spokesperson would probably be the, the favoured term in that instance. I also just love that Mr Partridge supports this union. Like, they <laughs> yeah. couldn't have anything less committal. Like, yeah. <laughs> John, it really stripped all the emotion out of that. that. It really reminds me of that old line from an episode of The Simpsons where uh, where Krusty the Clown is basically lending his name to any product that will have him, and it just says on the, on like a can of Krusty Coda, it's like, I endorse this product or service. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, it's exactly that, isn't it? Just two small things that I noticed uh, near the beginning of this episode as well. There is a shot, a wider shot of the studio. There are loads of coloured recycling bins on stage that never get referred to. (laughs) Uh, And also just a bit of script that I really enjoyed when Alan talks about Jenny's engagement, saying uh, there is Gideon's schoolgirls, the Centrinians type, not the modern ones that edit their faces. I just thought that was a very nice bit of commentary on the modern world from Alan there. He's got his finger on the pulse. Um, so skipping ahead a little bit here, um, Alan's complaining to Howard, who I presume is a producer or at least senior crew, about Jenny. Uh, there's echoes of the end of series one here, uh, and he's describing talk about their engagement as being a bit ITV, which I did think that's accurate. I think that's fair, you know, to kind of to, to sort of inject the presenters' private lives into things too much does feel like a bit of an ITV tactic. Yeah, but I also think it's a light-hearted magazine show that in the real world people would be all over hearing about someone's personal life. So yes, you're right, but also I think it fits the tone of what you would expect to see in a magazine show such as this. And actually that does happen a lot with uh, The One Show and um, Alex Jones. I think she's just announced a pregnancy now and I think whenever stuff like that happens, the viewer, the viewership really like engage with it. So I think actually, yes, it's more... It's the tone of that type of show, whether yeah. it's BBC or ITV. Right. So I did really uh, enjoy um, the kind of counter offer that uh, Alan gives to the um, producer, <laughs> basically saying, why don't we focus on the fact that Simon's learned to swim? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, I was wondering if that was a genuine offer or if he was being sarcastic. I think he must have been sarcasm for two reasons. One, 
uh, he says perhaps we should do 20 minutes on that I mean in a half hour show <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. but also if they did do that obviously it still wouldn't feature Alan in any way so I, I think he he, yeah, he, he can't have meant it seriously um, yeah I think he's just being flippant but I, I love the fact that that means we now know that Simon's just learned to swim yeah. well, and also I was, I, was pleasantly su- I was pleasantly surprised that Alan's even retained that information about Simon because normally he doesn't, yeah. doesn't give two figs about Simon's actual life does he <laughs> yeah or it could be that Simon actually can't swim and he's probably terrified of the water and and Alan is using that as some kind of like means to humiliate him on national TV. I wonder if he thinks there's some kind of sea quaddy in the water and he won't go in because the creatures might start nibbling him. Mm. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, this next introduction to a segment is probably one of my favourites that Alan's ever done um, because he just starts listing not even people but sort of a mixture of people, yeah. concepts, and it takes yeah. quite a while to work out what he's driving at. But um, it's it... but it still doesn't make sense. No. Does he does he open? Does he say we all have our favourite prisoner before no, he goes he into the list? No, no, no. No, 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 no. The The reveal is after, and that's why it's good. Yeah, great. Um, So it's loads of different things, and then the last four are people, and then he says we all have our favourite prisoners. And also just the fact that, I mean, it's it's his over-pronunciation of Nelson Mandela, like that as well, because (laughs) he's trying, thinks he's being sort of culturally sensitive. But my favourite thing in this whole list is the fact that, um, this is obviously (laughs) an Alan Alan Yes Coogan no, uh, is that they've put Andy Coulson, the the ex-editor of News of the World, that went to prison for phone hacking, (laughs) next to Fred and Rosemary West. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely, if Coogan was choosing his favourite prisoner, it's definitely Andy Coulson, isn't it? Um, should we just go through the whole list quickly? Because I had to do quite a bit, some of these, I had to do a bit of research to figure out what they were referencing. Did, were there any gaps where you guys didn't know what, what they were supposed to be about? Well, I haven't got the list in front of me. Okay, you got well, it. We'll, we'll go through it. So, Norman Stanley Fletcher, so that is... Rings a bell. But... That's Ronnie Barker's character in Porridge. Right. Ah, okay. Uh, then you've got the Guildford Four. Then we mm-hmm. all know who the Guildford yep. Four are. Then you've got slopping out, which is just basically chucking out your toilet waste in the morning in prison. Who's the daddy? Has anybody got what that's in reference to? No. Mm. Feels broad. I, Feels like it could I be. I believe a, that a... that's probably a reference to the prison film Scum. Oh, is that the right. Ray Winston? Who's film? the daddy? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a bit of a, and I think there's this thing where nobody says that exact line, but it's a bit of a misappropriated right. uh, script of that film. Uh, you've got Mr. Bridger. Did anybody get that? No. So that is the crime lord in the Italian job. Right. Uh, which, I mean, I haven't seen that film in so long, I had no idea. Uh, you want some shut at you nonce? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, what I've gone for there is Brackett's stereotypical reference point, but also yeah. I thought very reminiscent of Terry Norton in Naomi Knowing yes. You. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, Nelson Mandela, uh, Bobby <laughs> Sands, uh, who was a hunger strike prisoner, Andy Coulson, and lovely Fred and Rose West. Yeah. <laughs> that concludes the list. Um, and then when we cut to the VT, this this sort of revealed itself after a while. Uh, it took me a while. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a rip-off of Minority Report. That's the first thing to mm. mention. The, the plot is identical. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought Alan made himself look quite good as a criminal. Um, he had obviously named the character... Nero Costa. Yeah, he named the character <laughs> right, after no. two coffee chains stuck together, obviously. <laughs> um, and I started to think at this point, why does he need a character name for a 30-second clip? Why have we got yeah. this clip at all? And why have him say, aha, at the end of it? And then it all became clear when it the turns out comes. he's seeking seed finance and a distributor. So obviously he has to work an aha in so people know who he is and want to give him money. Uh, and it has to have a character name and, and you know, look semi-decent. <laughs> 
See, I was going to say, I was pleased with the payoff for this little sequence, but for a slightly different reason. So when this started and you basically get this very well-filmed, well-lit cinematic intro, I was a bit annoyed. I was like, okay, is this going to be a bit like, say, the VT piece when he was like in a medieval war in series one? Mm. So, so something which I think for me, thinking back, that grated a bit because it felt like, you know, it was quite big budget, big production felt quite overblown. So I was like, oh, is this going to be like one of these things again? Because that that kind of annoyed me as a, as a fan and a viewer because in the APU, a show like this time wouldn't have a budget to do a VT piece like that. And also they wouldn't make something as dramatic for that. Because, and ultimately it drags you out of the conceit of the show, much like the medieval battle that I referenced. So I felt that didn't really work so well. But then when you get the reveal that that's actually an excerpt of something he's trying to get funded, I was like, okay, great. This actually now works because that's exactly what Alan would do. It's a it's an unsuccessfully funded film project. He's using the BBC to basically try and raise capital. That then brought it right back into the APU and I was back on board and it was all fine. Um, this, correct me if I'm wrong, is the first aha of this time. And what also I quite liked about it well, is from that... from him. From him, yes. Yeah. Um, what I quite liked about it is that it's kind of similar to how they did it in Mid-Morning Matters, where he says aha right at the very end of the last episode, but it never actually completes the aha. It goes, aha, and then it kind of, like, the internet connection goes. And then in this, he never actually completes the word aha. It's it's sort of frozen and it cuts off. So he's never mm. actually said a full aha. And I wonder if that's maybe just a coincidence, but it might be something that they've purposefully done where he never actually completes a full uh-huh. And the reason for that being that he the rights to shout yes. or say it a certain number of times that he bought from ABBA have lapsed, and so he never has to complete the word because he's not allowed legally to finish the sentence. Yeah. Great, that would be brilliant. Um, this bit, I did quite enjoy it, but it does feel like Young Offenders and Alan is an v- extremely well-worn conceit at this point like it was the subject of of his whole documentary it was a segment of mid-morning matters like he went and did the mentoring in from the oast house like i feel like this is perhaps a bit overused now the idea of him sort of speaking and interacting with young offenders i did uh notice something though before we get into the actual prison stay itself um when alan's kind of teeing this all up and he's talking about loose screws on channel four and they have they have a clip of him in that show i something which i i don't know i don't know how noticeable it was so you know there's like somebody on the floor and they're all pixelated and he's like giving them a hard time and then he walks off saying where's vernon so mm. i'm assuming that the conceit of loose screws is it was some kind of celebrity <laughs> show and that's vernon <laughs> k that he's on the lookout yeah, for next that's great Enjoy Just, brilliant. I love I the fact it's... there are these, yeah. these little gags like that I that's a two-word like... gag it's quite yeah. low in the mix but if you're paying attention it take it takes you down a whole other tangent. I assume Vernon Kay was the host of whatever that that show would be. <laughs> Something that's, like that, that, yeah. that was my assumption that you know Vernon was the host. He's like, where's Vernon? I need to speak to Vernon. He's <laughs> um, another prisoner that Alan's about to do it. Well, no, I think it's more like he was just the host. But um, the other thing that I kind of enjoyed from this and and kind of um, thought gave us a little chink into Alan's personal life uh, was that Alan talks about his kind of morning. Um, you know, breakfast, he talks about porridge, porridge obviously being kind of, you know, slang for prison. He talks, talks about the only kind of porridge he has is in the morning with his, you know, hot coffee and his tablets. So we kind of get uh, an insight that Alan is now 
potentially on some kind of prescription medication. You know, there might be some kind of ailment in later life that he's now having to kind of medicate. I thought that was just a little interesting kind of, you know, tiny throwaway comment that gives you a, uh, a I guess, a view that Alan is getting a little bit older. Yeah, it might be uh, it might be medication to help him with his uh, scrit, 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 scrit. <laughs> <laughs> having to scratch his anus. I also love the uh, the segment in the voiceover where he's talking. He talks about the Stanford Prison Experiment, which is a well known experiment. Um, mm. Although actually, it's been recently in recent years has been debunked. Uh, I used to, I got taught it in school, I think, but I, I read a book uh, by Rutger Bregman recently called Humankind, which tells you that actually it's not as straightforward as, as it's made out. But regardless, the funny bit is that he's talking about the fact that the experiment made the people acting as guards cruel and the inmates servile and weak, a power dynamic familiar to anyone that stayed with their wife's parents at Christmas, which I really yeah. enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> very funny. That was a great bit of script. I enjoyed that. Um, and so this, sorry, this bit of loose screws footage, it made me think about the sort of offers that Alan might receive in this kind of era of his life. Because he is of the stature that he would be getting offered reality shows uh, at this point. Um, and I thought, a uh, question to the group, could Alan's next vehicle be participation in a reality show, either in real life or in the APU? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, potentially, it, it feels like territory that would need some careful consideration to not make it bad, mm. to be totally honest. But I definitely think... I definitely think it could be in terms of a new vehicle for him, but I do think you'd need to uh, think about how you would do that in a way that makes it good without it being bad. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so make it good and it's fine. I think Just make it there, good. There's something interesting in him being in one of these celebrity type shows in the real world, so in character, because you know, the, the things where he's done like hosting TFI Friday in character, being on Jonathan Ross in character. I think there's more they could do with that. And it kind of is it's a nice way to extend the output of the Allen universe. But 
I mean, much like Nick's saying, like, you have to make sure it's good. And I think there are so many ways something like that could go bad. Like, you know, you could deliberately insert him playing the character in, like, just one week of I'm or one episode of I'm a Celebrity or something like that. But I just think, you know, does the joke actually sustain long enough for that that to be worthwhile? I don't I know. Think it's, but it would be interesting. I think it's more likely that they would script a sort of fake reality show that he was mm. part of. Yeah. I don't... I, I, mm. I agree. I don't think it would work in real life for, for three reasons. One, to, to maintain that character would be very difficult. Two, I don't think that's what the people who make reality shows are looking for. They're looking to show <laughs> no. the unseen real person or, you know, or yeah. a new facet. And thirdly, Steve Coogan would think it was beneath him and he'd be right. So for those reasons, it probably will never happen. <laughs> I found this whole kind of prison section as a VT um, a lot stronger than um, the previous uh, episode where we saw Alan kind of visit the monastery and exploring kind of silence. Um, I didn't love it. I didn't think it was brilliant but i did think it had some really good kind of humor in it and i do agree the point around this sort of feels like familiar territory with um you know alan's dynamic with younger people inverted commas um but i do think that this was a definite step up in terms of overall content and i would also say the one thing i did really enjoy is when we see him in his cell and he's trying to entertain himself at night uh, by throwing the uh, i think it's a ping pong ball against the wall yeah. uh, you can see him visibly corpsing as well in that like trying to stifle yes. laughter yeah yeah, I thought exactly that. Um, um, there, there are a few, a few other bits that I've noted down before he gets into the cell. That, um, so when he comes into the prison and he has to kind of hand over all his items, that he's got uh, chicken shop wet wipes, five units. <laughs> um, has he? Does he have those because he's have been having to feed uh, chicken to Seldom? We know we know Seldom likes KFC. Um, another welcome return of the string back driving gloves, which we actually saw uh, last week as well in the in the monks VT. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then he has quite a long chat with uh, Morris. Is it Morris in the prison? Yeah, Mor- Morris and... Stack or, or yeah. Strange so Ways. Did you notice that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and did you notice that there's like a prisoner's eye like watching them through the yeah. door? I, I, I oh, didn't spot really? that straight away. Yeah. Nice. I, re- Good yeah. I really enjoyed the character of Morris Stack. I thought I thought it was very well uh, fleshed out and it was sort of a recognisable type of person. Um, especially Alan's line. It's like, he told me the boys had nicknamed him Strange Ways because of where he used to work, but I'll let you be the judge. I thought that was a really, <laughs> really nice line that, that this guy is actually just a bit odd. Um, and also, I think there is a kind of person like this that... that they, they've got their well-rehearsed spiel that they use on everybody. Yeah. They've said it a hundred mm. times. His whole coulda, woulda, shoulda business. <laughs> that he's got yeah, like a yeah. system. He's, he's got a system he's yeah. landed on over the years uh, working at prisons, hasn't he? Um, but I, I, lo- I love, I love what Alan says. Um, it's too simplistic for him, but perfect for daft lads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which ties nicely to an earlier line where he says, "The only piping hot coffee is the one thrown in your face by a troubled teenager with a rubbish dad." Um, i did yeah his and the way that he kind of explained how itv took over regional tv stations and using a kind of a fictitious like gang scenario to kind of explain it on their level i also thought was really really good that was one of the the best thing that it still doesn't work as well the extended drug dealer metaphor they're still like what the fuck are you talking about yeah yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. it felt like one of those bits that normally we don't like where he goes into an extreme amount of detail about a very specific nuanced bit of technology or pop culture history but I feel like in this instance it really worked because he tried to do that metaphor. Um, and also I like the bit where he's going through his room and he's like, it ain't the Ritz. 
more like a Marriott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was really good. And, oh, yeah, and also saying, not unlike my assistant's lounge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky nice little switch. vision of uh, Lynn's, Lynn's abode. And his little bit of sass when he's being served his dinner is good as well. He's like, uh, do I pay for this? No one pays, mate. And he's like, the taxpayer does. <laughs> um, and I like, uh, he does this a lot where he's kind of in like, He's in sort of not very harsh situations, but he's trying to ramp up the drama and the tension. So he's like, "There are I'm in with some of the toughest teenagers in Wiltshire, Leroy, <laughs> Smithy, and to a lesser extent, Ken. <laughs> Ken's my favourite, like, non-speaking uh, character so far. Yeah. Um, did you guys make any notes of the overnight montage that we get following that? Uh, just one particular thing of note that you see him reaching over oh, the yeah. wall to grab the bog roll, and yeah. you can visibly see his ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, it was like kind of like only half noticing. Oh yeah, there's Coogan's butt. Yeah, oh, I had a predictor partridge in series one that buttocks would be seen. And you'd um, say in series two. <laughs> and I thought that tied in quite nicely because towards the end of this piece, it transpires he's uh, blocked the bog. He's telling the warden that there is a <laughs> tissue issue. When this section ends. And I, b- I broadly agree that um, it, it, it is good. But I also like the way that Alan just distills the whole issue of youth imprisonment by just saying, the prison system is broadly fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's also spending me... one night in there. Yeah. I think that that for me as well gets is is a bit of a jab at TV journalism where it's very superficially dealt with. It's wrapped up in you know yeah. uh, a very kind of short pithy sentence, and those kind of one show um, uh, you know journalistic pieces don't really get under the skin of any kind of issue. You just kind of say at the end of it, I mean, it's basically fine. It sorts itself out. Yeah, after so spending I, one night in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you're absolutely right, but I, I would still also say it also feels bang on the money for Alan. That feels like quite a classic trope for yeah. him that yeah. he sets out to learn or investigate something and comes away with no real useful conclusions. Just it's like he even, did in the monastery as well. Yeah, yeah, and even like taking like the whole Nomad book, like, you know, he doesn't even complete a walk. <laughs> it, it, it does seem very in keeping for his character, but I also like your thing that that's exactly what you'd get on the one show. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're back in the studio where Simon Denton, I would say, is gradually improving. Uh, it, it's interesting that, the, that the, the kind of the mistakes he's making now are less just like absolute blunders and more like he's missed a key bit of information. It's more sort of nuanced what he's getting wrong, isn't it? I would say to that end, though, his pie chart of a porridge, a porridge, <laughs> yeah. like a porridge Obsessed pie with chart. Pie. Yeah, <laughs> and then he kind of offers up, well, if it's not porridge, it could be um, slices of cake, where it's like, no one would be saying that. And Alan keeps saying, um, pie chart he's like oh obsessed with pie that that line is just so good it's so good um, but I think it, it kind of counters what you're saying that I do think Simon is making an absolute hash of this not only has he misinterpreted what he's supposed to be doing but whoever he's briefed these graphics into they're, they're woefully inadequate and they don't work at all I think the graphics are all right. I like the bit where the place where where the porridge slips up, goes up, and then you just see a bit of porridge fall out of the pole. Yeah. The... It, it's only just occurred to me. This is now two weeks in a row where Simon has misinterpreted what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I love the way that the, the confusion. It's basically the colon confusion transpires. So Simon thinks uh, Simon thinks that. The question that he's been set was, we're asking prisoners what we should do with them. Well, obviously, Alan clarifies, we're asking, colon, prisoners, dash, what should we do with them? <laughs> he goes, That's a great the, bit of script. Yeah, and he goes, the pie don't lie. <laughs> it's porridge. <laughs> I think, I think uh, to determine who's at fault here, you have to know whether that instruction was given verbally or whether it was written in an email. If it was written down, it's absolutely mm. Simon's fault. If it was spoken, I think Alan's partly to blame. 
But then you, yeah. we get a great balls up from Alan following that as well. He says it's like chickens voting for Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, there's, there's a few bits like that, isn't there, where then Simon corrects him, but it's, obvi- it's obvious from Alan's expression that he's kind of like, yeah, I'm wrong, but you're the bigger wrong here, pal. Like, you know, there's yeah, no yeah. point doing this micro-correction because you're already down shit creek, yeah. basically. You, you, don't, you don't get to correct <laughs> me on anything because look at what you've yeah, just done. Yeah, the whole segment's <laughs> fucked because of you, yeah. Um, and yeah, there's also a bit where Alan goes to Simon and he's like, you know, what else have you got? And then it's another one of those bits, like Nick was referencing, <laughs> Simon's face just doing so much work, like just the yeah. panic washing over him, big intakes of breath, just like getting more and more nervous. Uh, and then yeah, Alan to Simon going, keep taking the tablets. Simon's like, I do take tablets. And Alan's like, take more, <laughs> take of, them. more of them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I did think we we know that both Alan and Simon are on tablets, so that's a bit hypocritical. Mm. Tiff's back, and she's got a chair that smells like Alan. <laughs> that line is so weird. Oh, I found this whole thing a bit weird, where she's asking him to like smell her perfume, and it's on a it's on a handkerchief. It's I found this this bit a little bit a bit. Strange. She's I guess just playing it's... with it. This is what I yeah. mean about like what is she doing? Like what's yeah. her game? She's playing with him because obviously when he puts his head down to smell, she flicks her hand up and sort of like boshes him on the nose, and it's kind of like. Is she flirting? Is she, mm. like, trying to get in his head? Obviously trying to confuse him in some way, shape or form. But, yeah, keen to see where this goes. Yeah. So, yeah, you're saying it's perhaps not straight-up flirting. Perhaps there's some kind of, I don't know, entrapment? Is that the right term? I don't know. But I is, mean, she, is she playing some kind of game with him somehow? That's what I mean. Like, I, I'm, I'm excited to find out whether she is actually just really bad at flirting or because um, <laughs> she does have a very long laugh. Um, but it, it, <laughs> she <it's>, really does. <laughs> but uh, Or whether it's something a little bit more... Uh, uh, what's the word sinister? I'm looking for? Sinister, yeah. Mm. Um, we're back on the topic of Jenny's engagement. Um, she's found out that, that complaints have been made about her constantly referring to it. Um, and Alan clearly, you know, basically gives it away that it was him that did it mm. by accident because he says that he doesn't think that it trivialises the show and that's exactly the words that the complainant used. Mm, I think it's a... It's, I think Jenny's kind of grasping a bit there. I think she probably... If someone, if I was in a similar situation, I don't know if I would have spotted the trivialised bit, but I don't know. It just seems a bit convenient. Oh no, she t- probably t- already suspects him. I, I think if you look at Jenny's face, it's very much supposed to be she's clocked exactly what's happened here, and that there's a bit in the script that I'll come to it later. Yeah, that I think ties us up really nicely. Oh, I think but... no, I think she clocks it. But I mean, is that the moment that she clocks it, or did she already suspect him? Oh, she. I would imagine she would have already suspected him just based on the history, but I think this is brilliant acting from Susanna Fielding here. Like, the use of the word trivialising, then if you look at her face, it's almost like you see her thought process where she's mm. decided she's going to get him for this. There's going to be some kind of comeuppance at the hands of Jenny, but, you know, like, how long is it going to be until we see that play out? I, I think as well, in this little section... I absolutely loved Alan's overreaction to when she's <laughs> talking about the complaints. Is what? That's ridiculous. And uh, if there's a culprit at large, I want someone fingered. And then he really starts losing the plot. And he goes on to say, because she asks him if he can maybe try and find out who's made the complaint. And obviously he wants to step away from that. So he's panicking and says, when you make waves, it can make the boat bob about a bit. And you don't want Bobby Boat Bobber. Yep. Doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's brilliant. That also nails it home, I think, for for uh, for Jenny. If there was any doubt at all, the fact that he offered and then he retracted it. Like, she, she yeah. knows. She yeah, knows. yeah, absolutely. But it, I, I think it, it's all in the face. Like there is like a fixed stare, which is a bit like, I'm going to fuck you up for this. Yeah. Anyway, fuck everything else that's happened so far in this episode. <laughs> because they're introducing a man who was re- re- previously introduced to the nation on Alan's show in 1994, I think, 
Joseph B. Beasley. Now, at the point they said <laughs> Joseph B. Beasley, did everyone clock then? Or did... I was sort of like, surely not. And then she said Joe Beasley, and I couldn't believe my ears. Oh, I was... I absolutely lost my mind when this happened. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It's yeah, like I... one of those... You know that... Um, <laughs> I might use this on the socials. But you know that, um, that meme of um, Leonardo DiCaprio from uh, the last Quentin Tarantino film where he's like pointing at the screen yep. when something <laughs> oh, yeah. happens? It was basically that in real life. Like, it's Joe Beasley! Or, or um, like, you know, the World Cup meme where all the drinks go up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Please can someone make a version of that where yeah, Joe Beasley appears on screen and then all the pints go in the air. I'd love to see that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, please. I, I, I wish I had the skills to do that. If someone else can, that'd be amazing. So, yeah, yeah, please. John Thompson's back on the show as Joe Beasley with Cheeky Monkey. Um, they uh, they show a brief <laughs> recap of him being on the show and fucking it up in 1994. Um, so, quite oh, int- there's a bit... Quite there's a bit in the script that I love yeah. here. Are you going to say we're just oh, like Joe you... Beasley pictured here on the right? No, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Gonna... Be- before that, though, before that, it says this is the fresh face and good looks of Joseph B. Beasley, <laughs> and he looks pretty plump and haggard. But I absolutely agree. <laughs> Saying pictured on the right is such a touch yeah. of class. It's so good. Um, interestingly, uh, the, they kept the conceit of the show uh, of, of the this time show by removing the the genuine audience laughter from the clip of knowing me, knowing you, uh, because obviously mm. for, for the purposes of, of of the APU, it needs to not look like it was intentionally intentionally uh, a, a yeah. comedy show. It was a chat show. It's basically quite a well-worn kind of trope of like a true crime mm. program or sort something, of, isn't it? Yeah, sort of black uh, and, and white. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with Alan saying, "When he began assaulting the monkey, I had to intervene." <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was probably one of the most perfectly pitched, perfectly balanced bits of partridge we've ever had. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think previously the writers have, have gone out of their way to not necessarily service exactly fan expectation and to not kind of hark back to past glories. And I feel like this is bringing back something incredible, but in a way that doesn't feel like they've had to sort of reach into their grab bag of safe tricks. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they could easily have picked a, a Phil Cornwall, which I have done in the past, actually, on Mid Morning Matters, but, or, or a Michael or, you know, something like that. But someone from... 1994 is 27 years 27 ago. 27 years, so, yeah. So, you know, a big, big gap in terms of... Uh, 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 since we last um, saw Mr Joseph B. Beasley throw, uh, throw poor Cheeky Monkey on the floor as he stormed off the set. But, yeah, you're right. It could so easily have been someone bigger, quote-unquote bigger, and more well-known. But I, I, you're right, perfectly pitched. The perfect person to bring back. We obviously have a lot of uh, <laughs> affection and affinity towards uh, Joe Beasley and Cheeky Monkey. So, yeah. Paying lip service, paying fan service, but in a really, yeah. really clever and and brilliant way. It's like it, it's picking a fan favourite, but a fan favourite where you have to be a certain level of fan. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're passing fan that perhaps hasn't even seen Naomi Knowing You would be like their payoff would, seeing, would be seeing Michael back on the show. So I think for slightly more devoted fans, yeah, this, this couldn't be better. Um, so Joe has reinvented himself, which I think is also another kind of like you know rug. So pull. is he's, cheeky, and so is cheeky. He's turned himself <laughs> turned himself around. So he's now drugs counselor, which I did not see, uh, which I did not see coming. Um, 
did anyone else kind of like foresee what where this was ultimately going to go? No, like, no, and I think that's why it's so good. I think I think my natural assumption was okay. So he's come back on and he's going to be out for revenge. And I mean, I guess there is yeah. an element of that. That that itch is scratched, but mm. there's way yeah. more nuance and there's a lot more kind of like layers and a lot more fun to it. And the way that he kind of impresses a lot of his feelings on Cheeky Monkey, and there's some ambiguity about how angry he actually is at Alan, and and uh, you know, I just think it's really well played. When we're talking about, you know, like the pictured here on the right, little subtle gag, um, there's a little moment which uh, I really like, which is when uh, Joe Beasley says that um, Cheeky was working as a rent monkey um, in yeah. Salford. And Alan goes, what, for sex? And you just see Cheeky <laughs> nod. Yeah. <laughs> with, with John Thompson, Joe Beasley looking straight ahead, not looking at Alan, looking at something else. And you just see out of the corner of your eye, Cheeky nod. And I just, I love that. Uh, some other nice touches that I enjoyed in this bit. Uh, Joe's idea of luxury, when they're talking about him kind of, you know, living the high life, he's like, oh God, yeah, you know, I had it all the beer the fags then it, it goes it goes on to reveal that you know occasionally he would have sex with the cleaners at the holiday chalets alan's face alan's disgusted face at the idea that joe not just slept with waitresses but also slept with cleaners was out was an absolute picture um there's a great jab at alan's ratings for know me knowing you where joe beasley says yeah. you know all his friends have said it, it could have been worse if he'd been on any other show in that time slot the audience would have been double <laughs> and alan yeah. goes yeah. i love this as well alan goes to correct him but then he's like you know and that's the thing that actually probably brought me a lot of comfort and, and so alan's forced <laughs> to step back from correcting him but i absolutely <laughs> Great. love that bit i really enjoyed where um uh cheeky is kind of playing you know playing the part of of cheeky and you know joe's obviously kind of interacting with him and alan 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 absolutely kind of cracks up and starts kind of like laughing he's like oh it's brilliant this is kind of real end of the pier stuff and then he like, sort of points at the audience like this is absolutely on their level like, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah 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 whilst he's also falling for it more whilst than anyone in the it. crowd he's, he's like yeah, yeah. yeah he's like i can see him yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's really buying into it isn't he which is, which is quite quite nice to see, yeah. So uh, is, it, is it time for Cheeky to give some advice to some of the This Time viewers? Um, it it, it, oh, well, it I, is, but I wanted to also add that when they talk about Cheeky spiralling out of control, he literally moves in circles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think before we get to the listener advice, there's a little point where they talk about um, he basically sold his house and lived in his car. So... Uh, J- Joseph B. Beasy says, you can't drive your house, but you can sleep in your car. Yeah. I thought this is this gag works on a few extra levels because it feels like the sort of thing that Alan would have done in his wilderness years. Mm-hmm. And also it's quite reminiscent of the section in I Partridge where Alan sets up Partridge's Nest, which is basically Dragon's Den, and uh, with local businessmen pitching ideas to him in the travel tavern, one of those ideas was replacing the back seats of cars with beds for travelling salesmen. Uh, so yes. it's almost a bit like th- there's a three line to that idea going on there in the APU. So the question is, is is a monkey the right person to be seeking advice from? <laughs> it turns out, yes. Yeah. I would say they dispense genuinely good advice. Yeah. I mean, what what's uh, maybe I missed something here, but what is your take on how much of the how much of this tale is real? Is it the case that all the things that are being described happen to Cheeky, happen to Joe, and he's basically kind of transplanted his like his sordid past onto cheeky or is the whole thing basically made up and it's just joe beasley being entertaining by spinning a bit of a yarn because it felt to i think the former yeah it felt to me like there are some things that joe has been through that he can't process and so he has to act as if it happened to cheeky like was joe being a rent boy and actually you know he's just sort of 
making up that that was, you know, all the darkest parts of Joe's life, he's imagining that they happen to Cheeky, uh, and he's treating Cheeky right, as like yeah. an extension of his own personality. Or, from mm. what we see at the very end, was the whole thing just Joe fucking about, basically. Uh, you know, it, when he's like, I've got a whole bin bag of Cheeky, I've got a dozen Cheekies in a bin bag at home. Is yeah. it actually that the whole thing is just kind of a bit of fun? Well, yeah, I, took I, it I, that... I don't know. Oh, I, I mean, I took it that it, it was Joe using Cheeky to kind of, you know, de- deflect onto him. Because this, there's this point around him going to kind of Chester Zoo to see his mum, which I kind of took to be Joe's mum. But he didn't want to talk about that, so he kind of made it about um, Cheeky. So I, that's that's how I interpreted it, that he was mm. deflecting from his own life and using Cheeky as the, you know, conduit for that. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a bit of that going on there, but maybe, maybe it's a bit of a halfway house of, of both. Um, I was going to say, before we get to kind of the wrap-up and the off-air chat that they have, so when Cheeky attacks Alan, I don't know what you guys thought, but I thought it was genuinely quite a violent attack. Yeah, Cheeky <laughs> like goes bananas. pushed down to the floor, and what made it even better was Jenny absolutely loves yeah, it. Yeah, she loved it. She's <laughs> laughing her head off. And yeah. this, this is the key line that comes in that I, I was going to come to. She, Jenny says, um, at the like wrap up for that piece after the cheeky attack, I hope that didn't trivialize any of the issues discussed. So there's a nice subtle nod in the script there to us, the viewer that she hasn't forgotten what Alan's done to her. Yeah. So I, I think that's very important that there's a very calculated, uh, element on her part that Alan is gonna, I would imagine, get some kind of comeuppance from her. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I, mm, I don't know if I'd necessarily. I don't think it's tied to to Alan in any way. That oh, I think the use of the word trivialise is very deliberate. Yeah, because he yeah. he complained about her. her oh, engagement. I see what you mean. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah, sorry. I could, yeah, I completely hadn't spotted that. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Right. So Alan's when he's talked to producer Howard about yeah, yeah, yeah. the engagement trivialising. When they talk about the complaints, he uses that word. So she's now using that word. So it's a, almost a coded message or threat to him and to yeah. us, the viewer. And also a little bit of a, oh, okay, so you, you think my engagement trivialises things, but here you are being punched in the face by a, a, a pretend monkey. Like, <laughs> yeah, how, how that. is that not trivialising issues? Well, I mean, they were obviously in relation to what they were talking about in the, the abuse of the, the person that rings in. But yeah, it's it's it's... They don't want to trivialise that by, you know, mm. having the person give them advice on quite a serious issue, be a monkey. <laughs> but then also, yeah, obviously the use of trivialise is very, very calculated by general. It's, it, it's multi-layered scripting. It's yes, very it clever. really is. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the cameras are off and, and Alan and Joe are having a little bit of a chat. Um, Joe reveals he's got a dozen cheekies in a bin bag at home and he's saying to Alan, <laughs> you know, how are you, how are you doing really? And Alan quite quickly offers up, oh, four out, he's doing four out of ten. In, in his head. It's been, been worse. I've been lower. <laughs> he's been lower, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that he's... My take on it was that he's, uh, again, been kind of caught off guard by how genuine and, and kind of on the on the nose the advice was to the caller. And so, actually, he's seen something in Joe right. whereby, actually, Joe could potentially add some value to his life. So when, you know, Joe kind of speaks to him off camera, I think that he's kind of, you know, he's more willing to give something to, to Joe and let his guard down slightly. I did wonder as well, uh, because it feels like the the switch into kind of Joe in counselling mode is kind of immediate after the kind of battering Alan with a monkey. So is there something where Joe instinctively knows or recognises that Alan needs counselling? Or is there maybe even a possibility there's been some level of them keeping in touch over the years and maybe Joe has even counselled Alan in the past? I mean... 
I, I don't know. Mm. I think it's you could maybe read it a few a few ways there because, Alan because does the pay, switch is so immediate. Alan does pay a man to talk to sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Ima- imagine if he's been if he's been getting <laughs> counselling from Joseph B Beasley for the last twenty seven years. When he introduces him, he does say something along the lines of, "I haven't seen him in years, but I think of him often." But I don't know. Oh. I don't know if he says he hasn't seen him in years, he, or he just or he, he says, sees him less um, often than he'd like, or something like that. He says that the script is a man I have seldom seen but never forgotten. Right. So that's so that could still be a, it's a bit ambiguous. Could still be yeah. counselling. Could certainly still be phone counselling. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and yeah, and uh, yeah, Joe, Joe signs off as it fades to black with "Abba Dabba Do." Um, Brilliant. Which I, Finally, I feel it's quite. Yeah, it's, and I feel like it's quite sinister because it's almost like, yeah, this has all been about revenge. Like he's yeah. he's coming and he's now got Alan in the palm mm. of his hand. 27 years later, finally getting the correct punchline on BBC. I, I, I almost kind of like air punched when that happened. Yeah. It was just like a beautiful one. You know, we're talking about a nod, nod to the past, but that's really something for the for, for the old school Allen fans to really love and appreciate. I think that's just a really nice, classy touch and a great way to finish the episode. Didn't you think that John Thompson's sort of hair and makeup was exactly as you would expect Joe Beasley to look 27 years later as well? Like sort of long kind of roadies, <laughs> yeah. like ex-rock and roll hair and sort of a bit of a paunch and just, yeah, kind of like a man who's seen some shit but is like safely out of the other side. <laughs> He's seen a lot of monkeys in a lot of bin bags. Sure <laughs> um, so I think that brings us to the end of episode two. Um, I'd, I'd go as far as to say I enjoyed it more than episode one. How do you guys feel about it? I would agree. Yeah, I think I'd agree as well. Yeah, two two really strong episodes to start the series. But um, yeah, I think this one just about pips episode one. But loved episode one as well. Sli- this one's slightly better. What a great start to the series. I think having a return of Jay Beasley and Cheeky Monkey, ha- I mean, just, yeah, absolutely incredible yeah. scenes. Yeah, you've got to be thinking, if you're episode three, you're suddenly nervous. <laughs> <laughs> How do you follow that? Uh, <laughs> so we'd love to know what you thought about the return of Joe Beasley, and I guess the rest of the episode. Uh, drop us an email at thepartridgepod <laughs> at gmail.com. We're on facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, twitter at thepartridgepod, instagram at monkeytennispod, or the Monkey Tennis hotline is 07923 uh, If you have liked what you've heard and you'd like to support our future episodes, you can drop us the price of a cup of coffee, or maybe five, one for each member of the team, at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis uh, we'll be back next week covering episode three of this time series two uh, but for now from all of us at monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast thanks and goodbye abba dabba do it's that time what time high time to say if you've got time to give this time your time then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time monkey tennis please please cook your eggs be safe the egg safe. Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? It falls to me to say he has gone. Monkey tennis? I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things... To all men. And all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a subtle cock up there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.